Good morning. It's great to be together. Let's pray one more time as we come to God's Word. Do open your Bibles to Mark 4. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, we've just been singing that we hear the call of the kingdom. We pray that would ring so loudly on our ears this morning as we open up your scriptures to Mark chapter 4. Pray that we'd find um, our confidence in the right place as we go about this task. We pray that our expectations would be realistic. And we pray that the future before us, as a result of this work that you call us to, will be absolutely certain in our minds. And you'd spur us on to give ourselves to this great task of evangelism. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Very, very grateful indeed for the work of Beach Missions over many years, the impact it's had on me in all sorts of ways, not least in spurring me on to think about this topic of evangelism. Many great examples of people who've helped me in that way in this room. Uh, But of course, there's plenty left for us all to learn. And we're going to look in Mark 4 this morning about what Jesus can teach us about evangelism. So do have your Bible open to that passage. Three things we're going to see Jesus teaches us about evangelism. First, I think the guys are going to help with the screen as we go along. The task of evangelism is absolutely necessary. The task of evangelism is absolutely necessary. don't know if any of you play the game, would you rather? I used to love playing the game. If I'm honest, I still like playing the game. It goes like this. You present people with two equally horrendous scenarios, one of which they must choose to face. So maybe in school it went a bit like this. Would you rather do a length of the school swimming pool with a shark in it or a crocodile in it? Or going outside of the sports centre, maybe you could say, would you rather do a lap of the school field with a tiger in it or a bear in it? Maybe you're all thinking, the cogs are whirring. The youth group earlier on told me the answer to that question. I'm not going to ask you right now for the answer. You can tell me later. Would you rather... If we're honest, giving ourselves to evangelism can sometimes seem about as appealing as facing one of those two choices. I'm not talking about being on beach missions in the summer with the supportive team around us and we're all focused on the task for that week and we're with people we're not with day to day. Maybe it makes it a little bit easier in some ways. I'm talking about the day to day realities of life back at university or college or in the office or at home. Would you rather stand up in front of all your mates at college or uni and tell them you love Jesus with all your hearts and you really believe the Bible is God's word in its entirety or wax your head with parcel tape? Would you rather do first contact evangelism near the local mosque or pluck out all your fingernails? Would you rather speak for Jesus at the diversity training workshop in your workplace or go to a foot spa filled with piranhas? Now, we're not trying, to be, not trying to be flippant here this morning. Not trying to be flippant. The reality is when we raise our heads above the parapet and we look at the, the mission needs close to home and further afield around the world, sometimes it can all feel a bit overwhelming, can't it? Like it's just beyond us. In Rick Otis's book, Honest Evangelism, he talks about something called the pain line. That is the point in the conversation where we move on from talking about the socially acceptable subjects of the day, the footy, the house extension, uh, what's going on in Brexit or politics or something, and we, we cross that line and we move into talking about Jesus. The pain line. I think the reality is in the secular 
culture we find ourselves in today, the pain line is perhaps getting a little more painful, isn't it? And it's not just from out there where the pressure comes to stop speaking about Jesus. There's a growing tendency, I guess, a growing temptation within the church to do the same. To push evangelism down the agenda. I was at a mission meeting last week and I, I was talking to a younger guy. I was saying to him, look, what would you say motivates your generation to get involved in world mission these days? What are you really passionate about? And his answer was, was plain. He said, we're really passionate about social justice and climate change. Now, don't get me wrong, they're worthy topics. We've got to think about these things as Christian people. We can't turn a blind eye to these things. But for him at least, this guy, it seemed that these worthy things had replaced the most important thing when it came to mission. They pushed the whole idea of sharing the gospel of Jesus down the priority list. For him, in a sense, mission had been redefined. And he's not alone. There are 144 evangelical mission agencies based in the UK today. 144. A guy's been doing some research about them recently. How many of the 144 evangelical mission agencies are involved in some way in evangelism? In any way? The answer is 56. Less than 4 in 10. More than half of the evangelical mission agencies in the UK today see no place for evangelism in their work. For many, evangelism has become a part of the package, not the central focus. For others, it's disappeared altogether, replaced by a long list of other important and worthy things. Friends, as Christian people, we have got to hold our nerve on this one. We've got to hold our nerve. We've got to see the task of evangelism is absolutely necessary. And we see why from the words of Jesus so very plainly here in Mark chapter 4. So turn there with me, please. Let's recap what's been happening in Mark's Gospel up until this point in the first three chapters. Jesus has been teaching lots about the kingdom of God. That is the realm where God's people live in God's place under his rule, the place where Satan no longer has dominion, where the great enemies of sin and death have been conquered. Back in chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus announces this kingdom. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What happens next? Well, this declaration of a new kingdom with Jesus at its head, it was rejected, wasn't it, by the religious leaders of the day. So we see in Mark chapter 3, Jesus appoints new leaders for this kingdom. He is ushering in. And then we get to chapter 4, to our passage today, and he speaks to those leaders, that is the disciples, and he tells them how the kingdom of God is going to grow. How the kingdom of God is going to grow. Many of you, of course, are familiar with this parable that starts the beginning of chapter 4, the parable of the sower. Jesus shares it in verses 1 to 9 that Brandon read for us a few moments ago. Then Jesus explains it in verses 13 to 20. And he says very clearly, the kingdom of God is going to grow as the seed is scattered. And he leaves us in absolutely no doubt about what that seed is. Take a look at verse 14. A very short sentence, very clear. The farmer sows the word the farmer sows the word the kingdom of God Jesus says is going to grow as the word is scattered here is the nub of the issue this is why evangelism is absolutely necessary God's kingdom grows as God's word is spread lives are changed as God's word is shared 
evangelism, literally gospeling, or as Roger Carswell puts it in his book, proclaiming the gospel to non-Christians who are listening. Evangelism is the God-ordained way through which people are going to hear the good news and the kingdom of God is going to grow. Evangelism is absolutely essential. Now, of course, before we can share this message with other people, we've got to truly understand it and believe it for ourselves. And that really is the thrust of Mark chapter 4, actually. Yes, there are lessons we're going to draw today about evangelism, but the main thrust of the passage is this. It's all about the importance of listening to God's word. Just trace through that theme with me. Verse 3, Jesus says, listen. A farmer went to sow the seed. Verse 9 Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. In verses 15 and 16 and 20, Jesus describes the response of people as they hear the word of God. Verse 23, again, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. And so before we go on this morning, we've got to ask simply, friends, have you listened carefully to the gospel message? Have you understood it truly? Has your heart been like good soil to receive this word with faith? Praise God, it's the case for most of us here this weekend. Praise God. But maybe there are one or two here and you're still not quite sure about these things. See, the Gospel of Mark makes it crystal clear there are two kinds of people in this world. When it comes to God's kingdom, you're either in or you're out. When it comes to your sin, you're either guilty or you're forgiven. When it comes to eternity, you're facing heaven or hell. And the only thing that divides those two groups of people is our response to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our response to this gospel message. The one who took on human flesh, the Lord Jesus, he lived the sinless life we can never live. Jesus, the one who is darkness, fell across the whole land, cried out in a loud voice from the cross, My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? We're talking here about Jesus, the one who took the punishment for our sin upon himself, about Jesus who can give us his right standing with God, the one who is risen and now sits at the right hand of the Father, who can save us from hell and save us for heaven. Friend, do you know him? Do you really know him? And do you love him? Have you turned from your sin and put your trust in him? Friends, Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. Repent and believe the good news. So having listened to the gospel message and then having believed the gospel message, then the gospel message is entrusted to us. The Bible says we guard this message not by hiding it away, but by giving it away. By giving it to those outside of the kingdom, those whose sin is not yet forgiven, those whose Eternity at this time is one where they will face condemnation. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to East Asia, once wrote, I would never have thought of going out to China had I not believed that the Chinese were lost and needed Christ. Friends, can we see we'll only give ourselves to evangelism if we have these deep convictions in our hearts and minds. God's kingdom grows as God's word is spread. There's no other way. Lives are changed as God's word is shared. Yes, as we said earlier on, engagement in the great humanitarian issues of the day is an important thing. 
concern for the ethical debates of our time, it's crucial. As evangelical Christians, we're not just to turn a blind eye to these things. They're important. But they're always a complement to, not a replacement for evangelism, which remains absolutely necessary and will be till Jesus Christ comes again. How do we go about it? How do we commit ourselves to adopting a lifestyle where we speak for Jesus day by day? How do we scatter the seed when our beach teams have dispersed and we're back into normal life? What do we do? Well, all sorts of wisdom in the room on that issue, isn't there? Praise God for that. People to learn from. Here are a few ideas to get you thinking. You can chat more about them with others later on. How are we going to scatter the seed? In some senses, it's not rocket science, is it? Very basic. First thing, talk to people. Just talk to people. Talk about your faith in normal conversation. Drop things in. See where it goes. Make it obvious you believe in the Lord, that you're a Christian. See if it provokes a response. Praise God, it went okay. I was just praying about that last night. Just off to the youth group later on. Just talk to people. Second, don't be afraid of people who seem different to you. My friend in Indonesia, Jason, was from Australia. And uh, Indonesia is the, the country with the most number of Muslims in the world. Someone said to him one day, Jason, what's your best first liner when you're talking to a Muslim and you want to talk to them about Jesus? What do you say? Everyone's thinking a bit about that. Then Jason says, well, here's my best line. Hi, my name's Jason. What's yours? Don't be afraid of people who are different. They're just normal. They need the Lord. Third, don't decide people aren't interested. Don't decide for them. It's tempting, isn't it, in our culture today to think everyone has written off the idea of believing in the Lord, that they've somehow moved on. Some might be thinking that way at the moment, but others out there, they are desperately seeking for the truth. I was travelling with a Chinese friend late one night, and he turned to me and said, Michael... When I think about the big issues of life, I just feel so lost. He was searching. Rachel, my wife, is studying the Bible at the moment with a single mum from our church. This lady is seeking. She is seeking after the truth. Fourth, have some phrases that you can drop into the conversation to try to move things towards talking about Jesus. You'll have different things, perhaps with different kinds of people. Here are a couple I've heard and used at times. Maybe for those who are particularly struggling with something in their life at this time, do you have a faith that helps you at a time like this? Just leave it hanging there. Have you got a faith that helps you at a time like this? Or are you a Christian? Are you not quite sure about these things? Are you a Christian? Or are you not quite sure about these things? Again, just let it hang. They might not want to talk about it and the conversation moves on, but the opportunity is there if they want to take it. Five, have something to give to people. I'd probably get shot if I didn't say this with all the things that are upstairs. We have an embarrassment of riches, don't we? In the English language, tracts, leaflets, materials, gospel books. Make use of what's up there. Have it on you to give away. Six, pray, pray, pray. Pray for opportunities to speak about the Lord at the start of each day. Pray that God might open a door for the gospel message. Seems to be a prayer God loves to answer. Maybe I want to say something to those of us a bit older in the crowd here uh, this morning. These are basic things, aren't they? We've probably taught them to many people over the years, and yet how easy it is for them to fall off the agenda. Give our lives to all sorts of things you could describe as ministry, 
but to stop simply speaking about Jesus to our friends and our colleagues and our neighbours and those that God brings along our way. So there's the first thing we learn from Jesus about evangelism. God's kingdom grows as God's word is spread. The task of evangelism is absolutely necessary. Second, the reality of evangelism can look absolutely rubbish. The reality of evangelism can look absolutely rubbish. I remember one of my first beach mission reunions, it was over in Flandudno in those days, and uh, that particular Saturday evening I have in mind, it was 1995 or 1996, uh, Roger Carzo was speaking, he was preaching on the cross, we closed, remember, still remember the time, we closed with a song, Give Me a Sight, O Saviour, and uh, I was sitting at the back somewhere, I, I couldn't hold back the tears, my heart was burning at that particular moment, and I had a real sense of, of the value of the gospel message and how precious Jesus was. Really grateful for times like that and others like it that God has used to impress true things on my heart about Jesus and the gospel. You know, having those kind of convictions on board in the Christian life is so crucial because the reality of being involved in evangelism, as many of you know, it looks absolutely rubbish. It looks totally futile at times. And sometimes, therefore, the doubts start to crowd in. Is it all worth it? Am I wasting my time? You know, Mark 4 is so wonderfully, wonderfully helpful in addressing these sorts of things because Jesus says very plainly, yes, yes, your evangelistic efforts really will look rubbish sometimes and that is normal and that is okay and that is to be expected because that is the way it works. Here are three realities about evangelism that Jesus teaches us in Mark 4. First, Sharing the gospel will meet with a mixed response. Sharing the gospel will meet with a mixed response. As Jesus explains the parable of the sower, we pick things up there in verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. You've seen that happen, haven't you? down in St. Ives earlier in the summer, speaking to Paul Smith, who was leading the team there. He was saying, look, over the years that he'd been going, he, see, he seems to suggest these days, in the last year or two, many more parents are getting much more suspicious about the gospel message. He says, look, people catch a glimpse of what we're doing and then they just turn away. And off they go. They don't want to know. Verses 16 and 17. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Maybe you've seen someone make a profession of faith on a mission or a camp. But a few weeks in, not interested anymore. Off they go to the next thing. Or verse 18. Still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. One of my best friends when I was in the Darns in Wild Group as a teenager was a guy who had a great, great impact on me coming to Christ. Huge impact. Yet very, very sadly, verse 19 just describes him. The desire for other things came in 
and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Maybe you've experienced the same thing as you serve alongside other people. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Maybe you've invested hours in the kids' work at church. Some came to faith, but where are they now? Sharing the gospel will meet with a mixed response. That is the reality. That is normal. That's what we should expect. Don't be thrown by it when it happens. Second thing to say about this subject. The results of sharing the gospel are totally out of our hands. The results of sharing the gospel are totally out of our hands. Take a look at verses 26 to 29. Jesus tells this fascinating parable of the growing seed. Let me read it. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now let's be clear, the job of the farmer here is very plain, isn't it? He simply scatters the seed. He has no say on when the seed will grow. It's out of his hands. Night or day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, listen, though he does not know how. So it is with sharing the gospel. Our task is to sow the seed, to share God's word. The results, though, are totally out of our hands. Of course, it's one thing to know that reality, isn't it? It's it's another thing to embrace it when we're trying to do that day by day and week by week, especially over the long haul. I was reading recently about the history of the church in Mongolia. A guy called James Gilmore was a missionary to that huge land in the 19th century. We read a bit about his story. James Gilmore, a young Scot, first visited the capital in 1871. Though wintering each year in Beijing, he traipsed across the Mongolian steppe for 20 summers, telling Bible stories, selling literature, and treating everyone's minor ills and ailments. Although he built up a great rapport with the Mongols and was welcome in every girl, that's those white tent things, he was welcome in every girl he visited. In reality, he saw few converts. He died in 1891 at the age of 47. The results of sharing the gospel, Jesus says, are totally out of our hands. Third thing to note, sharing the gospel rarely looks impressive. It rarely looks impressive. Remember quite a few years ago now, being on beach missions down in Boscombe at Bournemouth. It was a pretty cold day. Very small crowd of kids there in the drizzle. I was dressed up for some reason as Winnie the Pooh. Not quite sure it was me and not someone else. And uh, I remember looking up at one point in the program and singing, I don't know, Wide, Wide as the Ocean or something. I looked up to the back uh, where the prom uh, was overlooking the beach. This guy was like leaning over the railing like this. About my age. He looked like about my age at the time. And he was just looking at us with like a look of pity on his face. Really? As if to say, like, what are you doing wasting your time doing this? Seriously. The parable of the mustard seed in verses 30 to 34, Jesus reminds us that investing in the kingdom, being involved in evangelism and gospel work, it is often going to look unimpressive. Just take a look. Verse 30. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. 
I mean, think of the mustard seed. So small you can hardly see it, the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. That is what our evangelistic efforts will often look like. Small. Insignificant. Most of you know that, don't you? The world is impressed by many, many things. Your Saturday morning open airs are not one of them. They're not one of them. When I told a colleague at Boots I was leaving my job, this is going back quite a few years now, to head into getting ready for mission work, she just just said, oh, that's such a waste. Such a waste. I've got to be honest, there have been times I've been tempted to think that was true in the years that have followed. Because as most of you have experienced, being involved in evangelism and giving yourself to sowing the seed is frequently unimpressive, isn't it? Yet what Jesus says to us here in Mark chapter 4 is, friends, that is okay. It's okay that when you share the gospel, you meet with a mixed response. It's okay that when you share the gospel, the results are out of your hands. It's okay that when you share the gospel, it rarely looks impressive. And more than that, Jesus says, it's meant to be that way. Because that is the nature of the kingdom we are called to invest in. That's the pattern of the king we're called to follow. Here is Jesus who in Mark's gospel is mocked and maligned, who is spat upon and suffers, who is rejected and reviled. Here is the one who three times predicts his own death and sufferings, the one who in the garden of Gethsemane has a soul overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here is a kingdom sealed with blood, a kingdom established by sacrifice, Here is a kingdom that whilst looking like a mustard seed, verse 32, yet when planted, and here things turn, yet when planted, grows to become the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. Friends, the reality of evangelism can look absolutely rubbish. Yet, praise God, thirdly, the outcome of evangelism is absolutely certain. Absolutely certain. See how it works in our passage. We'll go back through those three things we just commented on. First, yes, sharing the gospel will meet with a mixed response, but the harvest is coming. It's coming. Let's look at verse 20. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times that which was sown. Friends, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Do you know where the fastest growing church in the world is today? It's in Iran. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Matthew 16, verse 18. And on that final day, the nations, we are told in Micah chapter 4, will stream. They'll stream in number to the mountain of the house of the Lord to worship him. So friends, as you press on in evangelism, as you sow the seed and meet with a very, very mixed response, never give up because the harvest is coming. It's coming. Second, yes, the results of sharing the gospel are totally out of our hands, but they are firmly in God's hands. In verses 26 to 29, in that parable of the growing seed, we've seen already the man has really no idea how the seed sprouts. 
He has no influence on making the seed sprout. He has no idea when the seed will sprout, yet it still happens. Verse 28. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Friends, that is encouraging to hear, isn't it? Isn't that encouraging to hear? The results of evangelism are in God's hands and not our hands. And he is in the business of causing seeds to grow. That's what he does. If we can get this on board in our minds and our hearts, it it helps us to avoid two big temptations when it comes to evangelism. It keeps us firstly from pride. When we have those precious moments, maybe you've had one on a beach team this summer, where we see someone come to faith right in front of our eyes, where we see gospel fruit. It's not because we've done something special ourselves, is it? It's because God has caused the seed to grow. Not only does it keep us from pride, it also keeps us from despair. The opposite temptation. During those times when there are no shoots of growth, when the soil seems so so hard when we labour week after week and year after year and we pray for someone friends we don't need to despair God is the one who causes the seeds to grow and he does so in his time and in his way and it is in his hands not ours so don't despair I was in Thailand back in May and I was with my old friend Johnny he said to me uh, one evening Michael do you remember the time we preached in the night market in the open air I had a vague recollection. It's probably like 15 years ago or something. I said, oh yeah, vaguely remember going there with you, Johnny. He said, um, do you remember that guy that came to chat after you gave that talk? I said, I'm honest, I, I can't remember at all this guy who came to chat. Johnny went on, he said, you know, after hearing the gospel that night, he kept coming back and he came to faith and he's still following Jesus today. Did that man come to faith because my talk was just right that night? Of course not. Did he come to faith because Johnny's follow-up or his translation on the night was just perfect? Of course not. Praise God, he uses these things that we do in his service, but that guy came to faith because God caused the seed to grow. It's in his hands, not ours. Finally, sharing the gospel rarely looks impressive, but there is nothing more permanent to invest your life in. There is nothing more permanent to invest your life in than this this great task of evangelism. Talked a few moments ago, didn't we, about the missionary James Gilmore who went to Mongolia. At the end of his life, what did he have to show for all of that evangelistic effort? Twenty summers of hardship and toil. He'd worked very, very hard and he'd seen very little fruit. Look with me at verse 30. Again, Jesus said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. James Gilmore's biographer really understood the parable of the mustard seed. And he wrote this about Gilmore in the biography. He said, Succeeding toilers in the Mongolian field as the direct result of Gilmore's sowing will be able in the days to come to apply to themselves our Lord's words. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. It's exactly what happened next 
in the history of the church in Mongolia. As recently as 1990, there were just a handful of believers in the whole nation. Some say as few as four. Yet in the years that followed, the church exploded. Today, less than 30 years on, there are 30,000 believers. 1% of the population of that country are evangelical Christians. And the Mongolian church is now sending its own missionaries to places like China and Afghanistan and Russia and a small country very next to South Korea that sounds very similar to it. You can work it out. James Gilmore's work in the world's eyes would have looked deeply, deeply, deeply unimpressive, wouldn't it? What did he have to show for all that work? It looked pathetic, like a mustard seed. Yet there was nothing more permanent that he could have invested his life in. Nothing that would have lasted in the same way. As we close, friends, can I ask, are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to do the same? We can't always replicate what happened in Mongolia. But we can all give ourselves to the essential task of evangelism, sowing the seed, speaking the gospel to non-Christians who are listening, knowing that as we sow the seed, the harvest is surely coming and there is nothing, nothing more permanent that we can invest our lives in. Let's pray together as we close. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these precious words of Jesus in Mark 4 that speak of the realities of being involved in gospel work. We thank you for the realities that evangelism is absolutely essential, that the kingdom of God grows as your word is spread. Help us to to commit ourselves afresh to, to speaking to those who don't know you yet about the great gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you too for the reality of Jesus' teaching, showing us that often our efforts will look really very rubbish indeed. We'll meet with a very mixed response. It will look deeply unimpressive and the results are totally out of our hands. But yet we praise you. We praise you, Lord, for the realities because of what you do when the seed is sown. And we pray that we will be deeply convinced that there is nothing, nothing worth giving our lives to more than to serve the Lord Jesus and to speak for him. We pray that you would give us the strength to keep at it in the task. May it be for your glory and not our own. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.